Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Uh, if you didn't notice, uh, I'm, I'm sure you did, uh, there's been a little bit of work done here in this building. If you are on the design and decor team, can you just raise your hand? Anyone here? Good, we can, we can talk about them without them being in the room. Uh, which is a regular practice we do here. That I'm kidding. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, I just want to say thank you to everyone who, who has served. We have a, have a team of people who showed up this past week and have helped to make uh, this place just look incredibly festive. Um, and so, so if you know anyone who's on that team, uh, just tell them thank you. Um, because this, this is a lot of work, and, uh, and if it was left up to me, um, it would be a very different experience walking in here this morning. Uh, also this morning, I wanted to, wanted to briefly uh, give everyone here an invitation. Um, this is an invitation from uh, Monmouth Church of Christ for an annual Christmas luncheon that they have on December 15th, that's a Sunday, at 12.30. It's a catered lunch. Uh, we have these inv invitations on the table back there. Uh, you will need to RSVP, but for those of you who are like, well, I'm at the Church of Christ, what, what is this about? Uh, we, we have been in conversations as a church with another church, Monmouth Church of Christ, um, about the possibility of their church joining our church and, and donating their resources, their building and their property to us. Pretty, pretty incredible thing. And I, and I just want to say, uh, recently, all of our elders here at Park Church uh, were able to sit down with and spend some time with all of the elders at, at Monmouth Church of Christ. Uh, and it was an incredible Time together and really we did a couple things we really began by just sharing our hearts and our dreams for the future uh, and how how we sense the Lord leading and guiding each of us as we continue to move forward in, in these conversations um, but we also spent just a good amount of time just praying together and just praying with and for one another and 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 we ended the evening brainstorming ways that that as two churches, we can intentionally begin to share space together as, as we continue to, to follow God's lead in this whole process. And, and one of those ways is this luncheon. Uh, now, we are also inviting them to our Evensong event that we have every year coming up here in a, a couple weeks. Did we announce that? Okay, yep. Where was I? Uh, and so, and yet, uh, we then are being invited to, to a luncheon that they do. I would love, if you're able, I know this is a crazy time um, of year, but if you're able to go, uh, please, please try to make it. Um, that's December 15th at 12.30 p.m., so right after our, our second service here, at Monmouth Church. And I, I just so you know, I continue, as, as we continue in these conversations, um, I continue just to be incredibly humbled by the fact that there's this church who is seriously and prayerfully moving in the direction of being so compelled by the work that, that they see God doing here at Park Church that, that they would consider joining. Like that, 
this really is a, a pretty amazing and humbling thing. And I want to ask you to continue to pray with us in the midst of this process. And, and as always, like if you have any questions along the way, please come ask me, ask any of our elders. Uh, finally, uh, this last Monday, uh, I, I had to come into the office at night. And I came in to find uh, a big, fluffy unicorn pillow slash sleeping bag in front of my office. Now, if you were here last week, then you know that I told a story about an incident at Costco where my daughter did not get a unicorn pillow that she wanted, and there was a big tantrum. Uh, and then there was one sitting out, outside my office door, <coughs> uh, to which... To which I say two things. One, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, thank you. Uh, but also, if, if I knew that that was how things worked, I, I probably would have told you a story about the time when I, I really wanted a brand new Tesla. And my, <laughs> wife, and my wife said, Michael, we just can't do this. And I threw the biggest tantrum. Um, but anyway, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And, called according to his purposes. So I just wanted to just throw that out there. Um, no, in all seriousness, don't buy me a Tesla. Actually, actually do, because then I'll sell it, and we can, we can then uh, give the money to, to the church as we continue to serve this county. Um, but it's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week, which means a couple things. For starters, it means that, at least for some, you can legitimately begin listening to Christmas music now, right? Is that fair, Thanksgiving week, or is it not until after Thanksgiving? I'm not sure. I won't mock you if you do. Some of you are like, I listen to Christmas music all year. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but secondly, this, this is a unique time. This is a unique season in the life of our country because this is a, a time every year, a rhythm, where we, as, as a culture, pause we stop, we take inventory of our life, and we express gratitude. We express gratitude, and, and more and more uh, psychologists over the years are pointing out the fact that, that this simple practice of giving thanks is actually good for your health. It's actually a good and positive thing. More and more books over the last few years are coming out uh, simply stating this fact that when we give thanks, that's good for your soul. And, and it's in light of this that I, I want to take a moment this morning to read a passage of Scripture. And it's, it's a very short passage of Scripture. Really, it's just one verse. But I want to explore this one verse that has to do with thanksgiving this morning. And this this is the text. It, it comes from the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, which was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a bunch of Jesus followers in the ancient city of Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And this is, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Say it one more time. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Now, there are several things that I, I like about this verse, right? For starters, give thanks. Like, like I just said, I think most of us intuitively recognize that the practice of giving thanks is healthy, right? It's, it's a good thing. And in fact, in this verse, give thanks, this, this little phrase here, this is not a suggestion. Uh, this is not a recommendation. It actually grammatically is in the imperative mood, which is a way of saying it's a command. So Paul is saying he's commanding that the people to whom he's writing must give thanks. And this is a healthy and good thing. I'm, I'm on board with that. And then, and then we jump to the end of this verse, and we, we hear why. And, and it's because, well, this is, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, now, the idea of God's will can often be a confusing thing for people. I think one of the common ways we, we misunderstand God's will is we, we ease so easily think of God's will as this sort of predetermined set of events that if, if we don't in some way discover what his will is, like, God, do you really want me to marry this person? Or, God, is this the job for me? And, and, and not that those aren't good questions. In fact, those are phenomenal questions. But, but it's easy to live with this sort of anxiety that if we, if we make the wrong decision on some of these things, we might miss out completely on what God's plan and will was for our lives. And certainly, there are times in the scriptures where God's will does refer to God's sovereign and mysterious plan that he has for all creation, that, that in some way, like a master chess player, God is arranging the pieces on the board of history toward his ultimate end, which is new creation. And yet, oftentimes, including this verse here, when, when we read of God's will in the scriptures, really it's, it's just a way of saying what God wants. It's a way of describing God's desire. And, and this is something that we actually know. We can know very easily. God wants us to be generous. That's his will. God wants us to forgive one another. God wants us to be thankful and to give thanks. And, and this too, this idea that this is something that God wants for us, I'm very comfortable with. I like this. It's that thing that comes in the middle. It's that bit about in all circumstances that, at least if you're anything like me, I, I have some questions about. Because Paul doesn't say, give thanks in some circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Nor does he say, give thanks in most circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No, Paul very clearly says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Really? All circumstances, Paul? What about, what about when you're unemployed? 
and unable to find a job, and the financial pressure is mounting and mounting and mounting. What about then? Should you give thanks then? And by the way, this is a, this is a reality for many people, especially this time of year. What about when tragedy strikes and, and your 11-year-old son dies from cancer on Christmas Day? which is something that happened to my aunt and uncle. Uh, Christmas 2005 was a very rough year. It's a very rough time. Like, what about then? Do we give thanks then? What about when a teenage girl dives into a lake and in so doing misjudges the depth of the water and immediately becomes a quadriplegic? and loses all feeling, all functionality from her shoulders down, dramatically changing the trajectory of her entire life. This is something that happened to a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata in 1967. What about her? What about when we are suffering? Because here's this command, this command to give thanks in all circumstances. But this morning, I want to ask the question, how? I want to ask the question, how? How is it possible to give thanks amidst suffering? How is it possible to give thanks when life seems unbearable, dark, not what we signed up for or expected? How do we do this? Well, before moving forward, I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, as we consider the scriptures, as we come together now and explore this basic idea of how in the world do we give thanks amidst some of the darker times in life, I ask that you would speak to us we ask, Father, that you would make yourself known through your spirit, that we would encounter you in new and fresh ways, that you would change the way that we think so that the way that we live might be changed as well. Uh, we love you and pray in your son's name by your spirit, Father. Amen. Well, as, as a way forward, as a way of, of grabbing this question, grasping it, uh, I want to I hold up just this one phrase that we haven't even talked about yet. This one phrase that appears in this verse. Because Paul writes, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. To which we say, okay, but how, Paul? How do we do this? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is a very curious phrase of Paul's, in Christ or in Christ Jesus. In fact, this phrase, in Christ, appears 83 times in all of Paul's writings. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters that appear in the New Testament of our Bible. That's, that's over one-fourth, a quarter of the New Testament. And 83 times we find this little phrase, in Christ. 
And then an additional 47 times we find this little phrase, in the Lord Jesus, which basically means the, the same thing. Clearly, clearly for Paul, this is an important idea. And I want to suggest that this is the key that unlocks the puzzle, the question of how in the world we do this. How in the world we, we are able to give thanks in all circumstances. How do we give thanks in all circumstances, including the dark and lonely, painful ones? Well, the answer lies in being in Christ. Now, again, this is a massive idea. And Paul uses this phrase in many different ways in his letters. And, and yet one, one simple way of thinking of this phrase and understanding what it means is this. To, to be in Christ is another way of, of, of saying to be in a relationship with Christ. Or to be in a relationship with Jesus. And the answer to our question is that being in Christ, being in a relationship with Jesus, quite simply changes everything. Being in a relationship with Jesus changes everything, including how we think about and experience suffering. And so I begin with this. One of the ways that being in Christ changes the way we think about and experience suffering is, is that we can go in Christ from having a, a here and now perspective to having an eternal perspective. See, the, the default setting of the human heart and mind, at least if you're a human like me, is, is for one sense of inner well-being and peace to wean and wane according to the here and now circumstances of life. For example, uh, yesterday was a little bit of an emotional roller coaster for me. Uh, we I woke up Saturday morning to a very cold house, which is not uncommon because we, we turn that puppy down every night. But then when we went to turn it on, no heat out of our radiators. And so I, uh, I went down to our furnace and noticed that the pilot light wasn't on. And, um, and one thing you need to know about me, my wife, when it comes to like home repair stuff, she kind of got a, a dud. Uh, her dad is like this fixer-upper extraordinaire, and so she, I think she probably just assumed, yeah, this is what you get when, you know, and that is not at all the case. Um, but YouTube has become a very good personal friend of mine. Uh, and so I quickly discovered, upon watching, I don't know, seven or eight YouTube videos, that there's this thing called a uh, thermocouple, right? And likely that's the problem. And that began my Saturday adventure. And I'm going to spare you all of the details, but let's just say there was more than one trip to more than one hardware store and many hours of aggravating and ultimately unsuccessful home repair work, uh, which, cultivated, which cultivated in uh, my good friend Josh Bova. Some of you know him. He's, a, he's an elder here. Uh, coming over and... <laughs> basically, this is an exaggeration, but he basically like leaned down. I was like, oh yeah, okay, it works. <laughs> um, 
He didn't, he didn't make that sound, but that's what I, as I replay it in my head, it was that simple. And, uh, and I, I don't know why, like something about home repair stuff just gets me at like the core of my insecurities. And so but, like before he came, I was not in a good place. I mean, I was like spiraling hard. Uh, and then he came. And to be honest, when he fixed it, there was a mixture of emotions. <laughs> like, oh, I, you know. But ultimately, it was gratitude, right? It was like down and up, right? This, see, do you see how this, this deep sense of inner peace that I had or did not have was utterly dependent upon and dictated by the here and now, right? The, those external circumstances. And, and much of this is normal to the human experience, Right? This is, this is very normal. And, and yet, and by the way, I'm preaching to myself right now. Yet, what we have if we are in Christ is a shift. A possibility. A possibility of moving from letting the, the here and now dictate our sense of inner well-being to something else. To an eternal hope dictating our sense of internal well-being. Because if you are in Christ, your deepest sense of peace and well-being is not determined by the here and now, but rather by the hope of eternal life. The fact that one day God will show up and make all things right and all things new. The fact that one day there will no longer be any death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, but that those who, having freely responded to the grace of God in Christ, will, will be invited to live with God in his new creation forever. This, this is the hope of eternal life that is offered in Christ, and it changes the way that we experience life in the present. My mom is a phenomenal example of this reality to me. Uh, my mom has suffered for my entire life from chronic pain. And, and it, all, it all stems back to when she was a child and she was given several fillings in her mouth because of cavities. And they happened to all be mercury fillings. And so as she grew and got older, unbeknownst to her, this, these mercury fillings in her teeth were beginning to leak. And she slowly began to experience, over a long period of time, mercury poisoning. And so as she grew and became an adult, she, there was this nagging sense that she wasn't well, she wasn't healthy. Uh, and certain symptoms would emerge, but it was always vague, and there was never an answer until finally it was discovered that she had been uh, receiving mercury poisoning, both in her mouth but all throughout her system. And it led to her eventually having 11 root canals. And, and despite the fact that she had 11 root canals, uh, the, the pain and the suffering did not stop, but there, there was damage there that even to this day, has not been, uh, has not stopped. And, and so as I think about my mom, I think of one who is well acquainted with suffering. And, and I, I have memories of, uh, of Thanksgiving, 
going to my grandparents' house, and my mom bringing this massive food processor with, because it was too painful for her to actually chew food. And so she would bring this huge food processor, and everything would go in. I mean, the, the potatoes, the turkey, the stuffing, everything. And then out it would come. It, it, it radically impacted just normal day-to-day -day stuff for her. But, but her pain isn't the only thing I remember. Because I also remember her prayers. And I also remember the times when on more than one occasion she would say, oh, Michael, I cannot wait for the day. I cannot wait for the day when I will once again have a full set of teeth and I'll be able to eat without pain. I cannot wait for the day. And, and, and she would pray with me every night, actually, before going to bed. She would pray with me, and she had this unconquerable sense, deep-seated sense of joy and gratitude and hope. And it wasn't because of what was happening in the here and now. It had nothing to do with her present circumstances. It had everything to do with the hope that she has in Christ, the hope of eternal life, that one day God will indeed show up and he will bring his perfect justice to this world and make all things new and all things right. This is the hope that's offered in Christ. In Christ, we go from having a here and now perspective to an eternal perspective. Secondly, in Christ, we are taught that suffering is, is not simply something that must be avoided at all costs, and I, I recommend generally of trying to avoid suffering, but what we learn is that suffering isn't simply something to be avoided at all costs, but rather something that can be redemptive. Suffering is something that can be redemptive. Not good. Suffering is never inherently or intrinsically good, but, but God can use it for good. If the gospel's true, if the saving story of Jesus is true, God can use even the darkest experiences of our life for good. See, so much of our collective life as a society, is spent trying to minimize or avoid as much pain, as much suffering, as much discomfort as possible. And quite frankly, in our society, we have the means to do this far more than most other societies in this world and throughout history. And so we go to great lengths to do this, to avoid and to minimize suffering. And yet, if you are in Christ your deepest sense of peace and well-being can actually in some ways be shaped by the fact that suffering can be redemptive. It does not simply have to be something that we try to avoid and minimize at all costs. And the problem, see the problem is that if functionally avoiding suffering becomes our basic purpose in life, then, then when suffering does come our way, not only is it devastating because we're suffering, 
but it's devastating as well because we no longer have a sense of purpose. We've been robbed of that basic purpose we've been organizing our life around. But see, if it's true, if it's true that God is writing a much bigger story of redemption in this world, a story of healing, a story of hope, a story of forgiveness, much bigger than our own individual stories, and if it's true that at the center of this story, the the moment at which God acted to, to rescue and renew his creation from the clutches of sin and death and evil, if at the very center of it, is a God who suffers and that, that it was through the suffering of his son Jesus that God has acted to save the whole world. Like, how much more than might our suffering actually be able to play a part in this much bigger story of redemption that God is writing in this world? Earlier, I, I mentioned a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. Has anyone heard of Johnny? Okay, a good number of people. This, this woman's story is amazing. As I mentioned, in 1967, as a 17-year-old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay and misjudged the depth of the water and immediately became a quadriplegic. Since then, she has gone on to live an incredible life. She loves Jesus. And she has devoted her entire life to serving him. She, she began simply by painting. H- how do you paint if you can't use your hands? Well, with her mouth, right? And so she began painting, and she's, she's, she's become an author and, and has sold many books. Uh, she started an incredible organization called Johnny and Friends, uh, which, among many other things, seeks to provide wheelchairs to disabled people around the world, especially children, especially children that come from impoverished circumstances. It's an incredible organization. And and in a book of hers that she wrote called A Healing Place, which I would highly recommend, by the way, uh, she tells a story about a young girl in India, Angoli, India, named Shantama. Shantama, at the age of 14, was disabled. She could not use her legs. And and being uh, in a slum in in Angoli, India, she she would spend her days crawling from one house, from one room to the other in her house on the dusty floor. And and around this time, at the age of 14, uh, there was a local pastor who had heard about this family and this girl named Shantama. And so he paid them a visit. This this was a Hindu family. And upon seeing her condition, he he sprinted back to his office, ruffled through his books, found an old book written by Johnny Erickson Tata, came and he gave it to this 14-year-old girl as a gift. Shantama read this book eight times cover to cover. And at one point in the book, Johnny spells out, gives, gives some basic instructions, so to speak, to someone who's interested in becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And 
says, this is a simple prayer you can pray. And, and each time Shantama read this book, she rehearsed this prayer over and over and over again. And the eighth time, she prayed it for real. And she gave her life to Jesus, which had massive implications for her life coming from a Hindu family. And yet, she was filled with joy because of the new life that she had in Christ. I want to read a brief excerpt from this book in chapter 10. And the title of this chapter is Thank You, God, for This Wheelchair. This is what, this is what Johnny writes about Shantama. She said, Then our team came, bringing wheelchairs and Bibles to Angoli to deliver to needy, disabled people. After all those years of crawling and dragging herself from place to place, Shantama learned to her wonder and delight that she was to receive her own wheelchair. The chair, however, had an excitement for her that went far beyond the gift itself. See, these were followers of Jesus who were giving those wheelchairs to people. Shantama was so proud and excited to think that the God she had learned to trust from reading the Johnny book so many times, that this God, her own God, was showing her this special kindness and providing an opportunity for her to receive an actual wheelchair fit just for her. After Shantama was finally fitted for her chair, however, she was shocked and stunned to learn where the chairs had come from. She burst into tears when she realized that these wheelchairs were sent by, quote, her very own Johnny from so far away. Since that day, Shantama had experienced a new level of joy and confidence and has become more emboldened to share her faith in Christ with friends and neighbors still locked in the Hindu religion. She said to one of our team members, I am ready to go wherever God leads me in this wheelchair, just like Johnny. And then Johnny writes this. Listen carefully. My friends, this is one of a million reasons why I am grateful God didn't heal me of my paralysis. What if God had answered my prayers as a 17-year-old, released me from my paralysis, and returned me to a normal life of a woman on her feet? It might have been well for me, but what about Shantama? Because God has plans for my life that were wider and higher and deeper and more profound than I could have ever imagined, a teenage girl named Shantama from the slums of urban India will be with me in heaven, in glorious new bodies that will never tire and never fade, will explore the high mountains of that place and the wide green meadows, and we will laugh out loud for joy over the goodness of grace of our heavenly Father. Your story is not the same as Johnny's. And I don't know what you might be experiencing, what dark valley, what suffering. You may never write a book like Johnny's, but here's what I know. In Christ, whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever suffering, whatever brokenness, it can be redemptive. God does not waste anything even our tears, even our tears. This is the God whom we worship. In Christ, we learn that suffering, suffering does not simply have to be something to be avoided at all costs. 
to be minimized at all costs, but it can actually be redemptive. God longs to use every bit of our life for his redemptive purposes in this world. Finally, briefly this morning, how, how do we give thanks in all circumstances? Well, in Christ, we encounter a God who not only sympathizes with our suffering, but actually suffers. See, the only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. You know the phrase, misery loves company. This, uh, this rings true at such a deep level. I know when, when I first came here, I shared publicly about uh, my wife's and my struggle with infertility several years ago. And, and it was amazing to me how many people in this church family came out of the woodwork and even to this day will come up to us and will say, that meant so much to me because let me tell you a little bit about our struggle or our journey. And there's something so, so sacred about that, something so special when, when someone has suffered deeply and is willing to then come and be present with you in the midst of that suffering. And, and do you see that in Christ, when we look at Jesus, we see a God who is willing to become one of us, to enter our world, and far from staying aloof, distant, and sympathizing from afar, actually come and suffer alongside us in our world, and suffer in a way that, that none of us will ever really truly understand. I don't know what you might be going through right now, but I know that there is a God who suffers and is present, even when you don't feel him. Even when you're wondering, where is God right now? He's present, and he suffers along with you. I want to end this morning by, by simply putting the text on the screen, the text for this morning. And I want to give one minute for, for all of us to just quietly pray in response to this. And I'm not going to stand up here today and say, you need to give thanks. I'm not going to do that. But I will say, if there's something in your life that, that's keeping you from giving thanks, would you at least just tell God about it? Would you at least just bring that to God in prayer. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, as we, as we pause this Thanksgiving week and, and as we do an inventory of our lives, reflecting upon all the things that we're grateful for, I ask that especially for those of us who, who find it difficult to find things, who find it difficult to give thanks, 
Father, I ask that you, you would remind us how and why it's possible. Not easy, but possible. Father, remind us that in Christ, you give us a new perspective, an eternal perspective. Remind us that in Christ, suffering, while never good, it can be redemptive, that you long to use everything in our life, including our tears, for your redemptive and good purposes, even in ways that we might never know. And remind us, Father, that, that in Christ, we encounter you in a way where we realize that you are not simply a God who sympathizes from afar, but a God who comes near and is even willing to suffer with us. You understand what it means to suffer. We are not alone. For all of that, Father, quite simply, we say this morning, thank you. We pray in your Son's name, and by your Spirit. Amen.